everyone responds to grace differently, right? So, so let me give you two scenarios to kind of imagine this. First, imagine you're having dinner at a really fancy restaurant, all right? And you are going all out, right? You get an appetizer, you get a really nice drink, and for the main course, you order that perfectly grilled filet, you know, or, or maybe it's those, those fresh steamed crab legs, right? They're the smallest thing on the menu, but always the most expensive, right? Um, but man, you know, and, and then it comes time for dessert, you know, and you get that, that rich chocolate treat, or maybe it's that, that perfectly tart cheesecake, whatever it is for you. You know, any of you getting hungry just imagining all of this, right? I'm not going to have your attention for the rest of the sermon. Um, but, but so, so you, you finish up this amazing, elegant meal, and your taste buds are still tingling. And then they bring the bill, right? All right. But to your surprise, when you open it up, instead of a price, it simply says, there's grace. There's grace, right? You can pay however much or however little you want. Now, now let's be honest, all right? How many of you are getting out of there with a free filet? right? Come on. I mean, you can pay as much or as little as you want. You don't have to pay a dime for this. With grace, you can walk away with a full belly and a full wallet, right? So that is one way to respond to grace. But, but here's another. Imagine you are on a long, incredible road trip. You're in a comfortable car with a great engine, and you're driving through beautiful scenery. You know, maybe that's wide open plains, or maybe it's forests and mountains, right? And whatever your surroundings are, you are driving along, and there is nothing but road in front of you for miles and miles. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you've been driving for a long time, but somewhere along the way, you forgot what the speed limit was. And you start to get a little nervous. You're like, all right, how fast should I be driving? I don't want to go too slow, but I also don't want to go too fast and get a speeding ticket, right? So you start watching for a speed limit sign. You're trying to pay attention. And then finally, you see it. And when you read it, you see that it says for the speed limit, there's grace. All right, now honesty time again. How many of you are about to floor it, right? All right, yeah, you are just, there's grace, here we go, right? Um, There are miles and miles ahead. You can go as fast as you want. Let's do this thing, right? So that's another way to respond to grace, right? So, So in the first scenario, the response to grace was to do really as little as possible. Grace covered my meal, and now I'm just going to keep on going as I did before. And, and Paul addresses this kind of response to grace in Romans, right? After he presents the wonderful free gift of grace that we receive in Jesus, you get to chapter 6 of Romans, and he says, So what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. Right? In other words, grace is not just meant to cover your check, 
It's meant to transform your life. And that's the second response to grace. Not responding with as little as possible, but flooring it, right? Responding with abundance, responding by putting the pedal to the metal. Grace does not just pay for your sin. It opens up a whole new life in front of you. Grace covers the wrongs of our past, and it fuels the goodness of the future. All right, now I realize that if we think about these metaphors too much, they're going to break down eventually. These are not perfect metaphors by any means. But I hope you get the point that grace is ultimately, it's, it's not about sin management. It's not about moral maintenance, right? Grace is not just to maintain. Grace is to motivate. Grace actually transforms us. And Paul gets around to this response to grace a few chapters later in Romans 12. So if you have a Bible, you can open up there to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. And while you're turning there, I'll remind you kind of where we've been for the past few weeks. So we've been in a series talking about liturgy, talking about what we do when we gather to worship. And and each week, we've kind of looked at a different piece of our liturgy, a a different thing that we do together, and, and considered how does this shape us? Right, And so we began looking at how we are gathered in prayer each week with the Lord's Prayer. And then we're united in song. We dwell in the Word. We are welcomed at the table. This This is where we've been. And this week, today, I want to look at the part of our service where we share our gifts. Now, you may hear that. And you see this picture up there with the basket and stuff, and you're starting to brace yourself because you have been around church before and you have heard some lousy sermons on giving. Or let's just call them what they really were, guilt trips, right? You know, the preacher wants to get paid, the church wants to make some money, so here comes a great big guilt trip to get us on to the next financial quarter or whatever it may be. And it doesn't feel any different than spam in your inbox or that pop-up ad on your computer. And it's less of a sermon than solicitation, right? And that is not where we're going today. That's not the direction we're headed, right? Now, it's true we, we do pass baskets around, and, and we do take up money to support the work of the church, but that is only part of what we do during this portion of our liturgy, right? Because at the same time that the baskets are going around, someone, usually Terry, gets up and talks about the life of the church, talks about what it is that's going on in the life of the church, updates about people in our church family, events that may be coming up, various opportunities to serve, and needs in the community. You see, this part of our liturgy is not primarily about finances, but about sharing our gifts. And that gift might be the gift of money and a basket, but it may also be the gift of your time. 
and the service of, you know, a few weeks from now, serving the men in Reach Out, or the gift of your care for another member of this church community, right? Sharing our gifts is about participating in the life of the church. And ultimately, our our entire liturgy, this whole worship service, is about the grace of God. That God hears our prayers as we're gathered. He joins us in song. He speaks to us through his word. He welcomes us at his table. And this part of our liturgy is no different. It is just as much about grace. Because all of our gifts are the grace of God. And so how do we respond to that grace? Well, let's look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, and the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for your grace, for the many gifts that you have given to us. God, I pray that as we consider the words of this passage, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now there's a lot packed in to this passage, and I'm going to do my best to kind of walk us through it. And and like any good preacher, I've divided it up into three big ideas, all right? Now, unfortunately, they don't start with the same letter, and they don't rhyme, um, but here they are. This is where we're headed. Uh, Holistic worship, honest discernment, and diverse participation. This is kind of the the roadmap for where we're heading. Holistic worship, honest discernment, and diverse participation. All right, so so that first one, holistic worship, is something that we see here. Look back at verse 1. 
Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the first thing I have to say here is that Paul begins by rooting all of this in the mercy of God. Sharing our gifts is grounded in grace. We don't earn the grace of God by participating in the most church events. And we don't buy a place in a community by putting money into a basket, right? This is how it works in the marketplace. This is how it works on Amazon and Walmart and wherever it is you may go. In the marketplace economy, we give in order to get. But in God's economy, we have freely received. And so we freely give. All of this is a response to grace. And as Paul says, all of this is by the mercies of God. And so what's the response? Well, Paul goes on and he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, if if you're a Bible underliner, right, if you're a note taker, you, you like to do this, then go ahead and circle the word bodies. And then later on in the verse, circle the word spiritual. And then draw a little line that connects those two. Because economy is not the only thing that is different in the kingdom of God. So is anatomy. Let me tell you what I mean by that, right? So, so you know what anatomy is, right? Maybe you can picture those diagrams from anatomy textbooks. You know, it has a different picture of the skeletal system, the muscular system, the nervous system, so on and so forth. Or maybe you can remember back to seventh grade science when you got the frog, right? And you had to do that, that little dissection and, and you took it apart and looked at all the different pieces of it, all right, whatever that was like. This is how the study of anatomy works. You dissect things. You look at different systems and different parts. You compartmentalize the body. But this is not how anatomy works in the kingdom of God. You see, we've been trained all of our lives to dissect ourselves and to compartmentalize our lives. There's life at home. There's life at work. There's life at church, there's life at school, there's life with friends, with family, so on and so forth, right? There's the emotional, the intellectual, the physical, the spiritual. All of these are are separate and compartmentalized, nice and tidy. But that is not how it is in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, these things are not separate. The physical and the spiritual cannot be dissected. That's why Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. The body 
and the Spirit are not separate things. This is why Jesus insists that we not only refrain from murder and adultery, but also check our hearts for anger and for lust. Because it's not only what you do that matters. It's what's in your heart also that matters. And yet, right after that, Jesus teaches on the importance of generously giving to the needy. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does he say this? Because it's not only what's in your heart that matters, it's also what you do. You see, these things are not separate. They are one in the kingdom of God. The body and your spiritual worship, and all of this is held together in the phrase, living sacrifice. You see, in the old sacrificial system, people would bring their gifts to the temple, a bird, a lamb, a bull, whatever, And they would cut it in half and put it on the altar. And we can do this too. The same way that we cut our lives in half by dissecting and compartmentalizing ourselves. But the call of this passage is to be whole. To be not a butchered sacrifice, but a living sacrifice sacrifice. Not cut apart in tidy compartments of church and home and work, but to live one life of holistic worship to God. Because this kind of living is not clear-cut. It's complicated. And because of that, it calls for discernment. All right, And that that leads us to that next big idea that I mentioned at the beginning. From holistic worship to honest discernment. right? And that's where Paul heads next. If you look at verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. So, you know, if worship doesn't only consist of our coming to church on Sundays, but also what I do with my time, with my money, with my whole life, well, then that raises a lot more questions, doesn't it? How much money do I offer? How much time do I give? I mean, I I still need to pay rent I still need to to work my job, right? These are honest questions, and they call for honest discernment. Now, now the first thing I want to say, kind of reiterating what I've already said, is that there is not a division between volunteering at church and and working at your job or, or living your life every day. Both of these are presenting your life as a living sacrifice to God. Right? It's not like what you do when you volunteer at church is, is ministry, and the rest of the week is just something you get through for a paycheck. Hear me. Your primary ministry 
is not what you do here on Sunday, but rather the work that you do on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week. Because that is the place where God has set you to be his light in the world. So as you go to your workplaces, as you head into your weeks, we need to do this discerning the will of God. Asking that question, well, what is good and acceptable and perfect in my context? What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come in your workplace? For the kingdom of God to come in your neighborhood, in your home, not just on Sunday, but, but on Monday, right? But, but I haven't answered those initial questions, right? What do I do when the basket is actually passed? How do I respond whenever someone's up here sharing announcements and all the things going on in the life of the church? And I think that Paul offers us some wisdom as we discern. In the next verse, look at verse 3. He says, by the grace, there's our key word, remember, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so the key to honest discernment is grace and humility. What does it mean to respond to the grace of God with humility, right? To not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, I have a couple of ideas on this. Because on the one hand, some might think too highly of themselves by kind of viewing themselves above it all, above everything. Church is just a place to come and receive, a place to uh, receive rather than serve, to watch rather than participate. And and if this is where you are, then, then maybe the challenge is, what are some ways that you can participate? that you can serve, that, that you can give, right? In the life of the church, in the life of God's people. But on the other hand, I think there are other people who think of themselves too highly, not by doing too little, but actually by doing far too much. They overcommit, they serve all the time, and they give everything. And instead of a living sacrifice, their life becomes a burned-out, burnt offering, right? And so if that's you, well, maybe the challenge is to, to take a break. Take a moment to rest in the grace of God. Now, I don't know which end of this you fall on, but whichever one is more challenging is the one you need to lean into. For some of us, it is hard to stop. And if that's hard for you, then stop. For some of you, it's hard to get moving. 
And if that's you, get moving. This is discernment. I don't know which end you fall on. It takes honest discernment before God to access and and understand your capacity in line with God's call. So what is God calling you to give? How is God calling you to serve? And where is God calling you to rest? Each one of these requires that honest discernment. But the only way that we can function as a community without just a few carrying the burden of serving and getting burnt out is by being a community of diverse participation. And that's that third big idea that I mentioned at the beginning. And this is the picture, ultimately, that Paul sketches in the final verses of this passage. So beginning in verse 4, he writes, For as in one body we have many members, not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. Individually, we are members of one another. Verse 6, We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He talks about prophecy and ministry and teaching and exhortation and generosity and leading and in compassion, right? So as I've already pointed out over and over and over again this morning, I want to point out again the fact that Paul here grounds this in the grace of God. In verse 6, he says that we each have different gifts according to the grace that is given to us. And these are not just closely tied ideas here in this passage. They are actually the very same word in the Greek. The word for grace is charis, and the word for gift is charismata. They are the same word. Both of these are freely received. Both of these are freely given. All of our gifts are freely received from God. And all that we share is a response to God's grace. All right? And we can see in the passage that sharing our gifts is not primarily about money. Giving generously is only one of seven ways that Paul lists here to share our gifts. And also, none of these that Paul lists are limited to life in the church. Right? There are opportunities to prophesy, right? to, to speak the timely truth of God every day. Every day there are opportunities to minister and teach, to encourage and give, to influence and to care for people around you. These are gifts that we live our whole lives with. And yet, there are also opportunities to share these gifts in the life of our church. So, you know, for exhortation, 
You could sign up to, to be one of the, the greeters at the entrance when people are arriving on Sunday. For prophecy, speaking a timely word, you, you could sign up to lead the welcome, right? To share some, some timely word and then lead us in the Lord's Prayer. For leading, you could sign up to facilitate dwelling in the word. For ministry and teaching, you could sign up for the the communion meditation that we have each week where you share a word about the table of the Lord and then guide us into prayer. For giving, there there is the, the passing of the basket. And then for compassion and service, there are all kinds of opportunities week after week. So these are ways that we can serve in the life of our church. And and while we're talking about it, I want to remind you that, you know, there are some sign-up sheets for each of these out there in the foyer. Or a couple weeks ago, I sent out an email with an invitation to sign up for some of these things, to, to lead in our liturgy in various different ways. And so I encourage you to sign up. Right? What gifts do you have to share in the life of our church? What gifts do you want to grow in? You know, in many ways, sharing our gifts here at church is just a way of training for sharing our gifts in everyday life. What we do here together on Sunday It's just practice for Monday when the real ministry begins. And so as we begin to kind of wrap up this time together, I'll leave you with three questions that are rooted in those three big ideas, right? So first, the question of holistic worship. Is your life cut up and compartmentalized? or? Is it whole, a living sacrifice? Second, the question of honest discernment, right? What is the place where you experience the most challenge? How can you lean into that, right? What is your capacity? And yet also, where is God calling you? And then third, the question of diverse participation. How can you share your gifts with the life of the church and in the world every day? As you consider each of these, I want to close this time with a prayer that I read earlier this week. It's from... Francis of Assisi, who lived in the 12th century, and I think it speaks really beautifully into all these things that we've spoken of and reflected on this morning. So hear this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, may I sow pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light.
And where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, not so much to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.